You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Again, I want to shout out to some of y'all, many of y'all who have been helping out with us this week. It's awesome. You guys rock. Um, Morgan, if you see her and her team, she's done a phenomenal job with the neighborhood and it really is awesome. So yeah, if, and, and you guys coming and showing up and look, it's going to be a long haul. So we just, you know, we run with endurance the race. So uh, don't give up on us and we'll just pray that we'll have a lasting impact and, and that people in this neighborhood would know the love of Christ. And so, but thank you guys for that. There's a time of the year that brings me tremendous anxiety and uh, worry. Uh, it's when uh, CBC's HR department hands me that W-2 and I got to go do my taxes. It's so bad because, I, I mean, it's like August, what is, it, is it August? I don't even remember. We just had spring break for six months, so I can't, I can't keep track. But um, I'm already thinking about my taxes, right? And it, it brings me stress, not because I cheat, because I'm always worried, have I paid enough? Am I getting enough taken out? Because, you know, the laws are always changing and my dependents are leaving, which is bittersweet because I lose their dependents, but, that, but then I lose their dependents. And so it's, so it's, you know, and all these different things. Uh, and so, and, and the way I do my, I just do my taxes on TurboTax. It's real simple. And TurboTax is great, but it's wicked because it has like right on the top there how much money you either owe or how much money you get back. And so every time you like enter a new fact, you hit enter and it's like, it's, it's like playing, you know, the slots or something. You know what's going to happen, right? You know, you're like, ah. Oh. And so I put in all my, you know, charitable giving and mortgage and the thing goes down and then I add this and I'm like, oh, it goes up. And so and at the, at the asking all these questions like, uh, do these more uncommon situations apply to you? I'm like, I, I'm pretty sure they do because I need to get rid of this taxes. So yes, I own a business overseas somewhere, you know, and there's probably another kid that I don't know about. Does the dog count? How about the cat? The snake? You know, now the fish? I mean, we're like a, we're pet smart at my house. I'm always looking to get that number down, right? Uh, and then, so last year, I'm, I'm getting towards the end and I'm getting frustrated. I'm like, did we take one more trip to the Goodwill? I don't know. Was there another Goodwill trip? I mean, uh, because I'm owing and I, I don't usually owe. I usually kind of break even. Uh, and so I get to the last section and I ask this, this one question. It says, did you have any uh, children in college last year? And I'm like, yes, I did. Uh, do you have this form? I don't know, but I'll find it if I don't. And I, so I found this form and I entered in the number and with a great sigh and a great fear, I hit enter and the heavens rejoiced. I broke out in tongues, became a charismatic, you know, the hallelujah course. That number went down to like, I don't owe the government anything. I owe the state of Georgia, but the government owes me. So it bounced out. It's one more year. Praise God. Praise Jesus. But I'm already worried about it. Uh, probably this week visit HR and say, take more money out. I just wish there was a way you could know I'm not gonna owe anything. I don't have to pay anything at the end. I'm just, I'm free. It would bring me so much, I'd sleep so much better. I'd be, to be free of the fear of owing. And, and I think a lot of people in the church, if we're honest, you have that fear. Not of owing taxes, or maybe you do but there's a fear of sin. Do I, have I done enough? Have I paid enough? Can, can I be forgiven? Can I know that I'm forgiven? And there's all these questions that we come in, uh, some of us in the, into the building this morning, and you debated whether or not to even come because you had a horrible week 
or it's been a horrible month, or you haven't been in a while, or this is your first step into church in forever, and there's shame and guilt or something, you still think about that fill in the blank that you did back in college. And there's a guilt there, and there's a shame. And so the question is, am I forgiven? Can I be forgiven? And the scripture speaks clearly on this subject, and the answer is yes. You know, and it's not that you have to pay anything back. It's not that you have to do anything. Yes, you can be forgiven. How do you know? That's what we're gonna talk about today as we continue in our study in 1 John. So again, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. It'll be on the screen. If you're visiting, you're new to our church, one of the, this, kind of one of the things we do, it's kind of a core piece of what we do, is every week we open the Bible and we teach usually through books of the Bible. So we start at the beginning of a book and we work all the way through the book. That way we can't skip the hard parts, the confusing parts, and so that our people know the word of God. And so that's kind of one of the things we did. Last week we started a series on the book of 1 John and we called it That You May Know. And the reason we call it that is because John says like a bunch of times that you may know, that you may know, no, 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 34 times. And so every week we're gonna kind of pick a, pick a topic based on the text on, that you may know, fill in the blank. Last week was that you may know John. And so we saw John, the man's heart, the man's experience, right? He wants them to have joy and fellowship. Today, that you may know is that you may know forgiveness. Because that's what he's gonna talk about. That you may know forgiveness. And so what we saw last week and kind of catch up the Apostle John was kind of the closest guy to Jesus. No one knows John. I mean, no one knows Jesus like the Apostle John. He grew up with him. He was his first cousin. Then he was one of the 12, but not just the 12. He's in the inner circle of the 12. He is the last living apostle. All the rest had been martyred. So he's been walking by the Spirit with Christ for 60, 70, 80 years now. He's at the end of his life. He's writing a group of churches around Ephesus. Apparently, some people from inside the church had risen up, and they split the church. It went from First Baptist to Second Baptist to Third Baptist, right? They split the church, and the reason they split it is because they were teaching all sorts of false things about who Jesus is, and, and does your life really matter? Does it matter if you sin? Does it matter if you're not sin? What, who cares? Is that, is that something significant? And, and, and they're de- causing people to deny or even question whether they really even have eternal life, if they even know God. And what place does Jesus have in that? And so all these things, and they kind of left the church. And John is writing to kind of do damage control to remind a group of Christians. This is a letter to a group of Christians. No, no, this is real. This is the real Christ. This is fake. These are real, this is real Christianity. This is fake. Right? And so he's writing, we saw last week, the kind of purpose verse, chapter five, verse 12, or 13. I write these things that you, to you who believe, this is a group of Christians already, that you who believe, that you may know that you have right now eternal life. That's his heart. He wants them to have fellowship with each other. He wants joy. So that's where he's writing, right? Um, today, he wants us to know forgiveness. One of the core ideas of Christianity, right? It's, it, it's, it's critical to what we do and why we do it and who uh, why we worship and, and all these things. And I think it's important for us that we don't miss this because it's, it's, it's possible for you to go through the motions and come to church and go to group and serve and read your Bible and pray and do all these things and kind of miss the point, right? Go through the motions and miss the whole point. Have you ever done something in your life where you kind of went through the motions, but you just missed the point. You know, you, you got up early, you went to Planet Fitness. Yeah, 
no shame, Joan, or whatever it is, whatever, and you ran and you treadmilled it up and you did all these things. Not that you couldn't tread, run at home. I never understood the treadmill, but that's another story. Uh, but then you, you got in the car. Man, I did a great workout. You're driving home on Abercorn. Hot and fresh right now, Krispy Kreme. You pull right in. You get you a dozen donuts because you deserve it. And you missed the point, all right? You missed the point of the workout, Krispy Kreme. Or the other day, we, you know, we got this puppy. Lord knows why. Um, it chews everything. It just, I mean, everything now we have to put on the shelves. I can't reach anything anymore because this puppy will get everything. I mean, it chews up toilet paper. It doesn't realize it's $1,000 a roll. I mean, it chews up everything. And so every day we're vacuuming up something, cardboard, tissue box, you know, whatever. The other day, so it's my turn, I'm vacuuming. And, you know, there's big chunks. I'm just trying to get the auric to go over it. Nothing happening, right? So I do what every man does. We switch angles. We try to go from this side now, you know. Now it doesn't work. And then I do what every man does again. Reach down, oh, fine, I'll pick it up. Now I'll throw it down again and see if it'll work now, right? And then it didn't, so I just walked away. I'm like, it's a done deal, right? It's missing the point. I don't want us, John doesn't want us to miss the point of what we're doing and why we're doing it and who Jesus is. So let me read our text. We're gonna look at chapter one, verse five through two, two. And we'll kind of jump in. I'll give you three ideas this morning. Let me read it. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you here, that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So he starts off in verse five. This is the message we have heard. He's saying, okay, three and a half years with Jesus. Here's the summary statement. Here's what I learned. God is light. No darkness at all. That's not even like 140 characters. That fits inside the old tweets before they, when they had limits, right? That's, that's super simple. Here's the message. Here's three and a half years with Jesus. God is light and in him there is no darkness. What does that mean, right? God is light. Because that's a, that's a pretty big statement. And it means a lot of things, things we can't even go into everything. But it means God is pure. He is beautiful. He is good. He is a source of life. He's a source of purity. He is perfect. He gives direction. He exposes things. He dispels darkness. He spreads. I mean, and there's all sorts of implications that you could go on and on. He is distinct. The darkness has no power over him, right? But here, here's, the, here's the point that I want us to guess when we talk about forgiveness. When we talk about forgiveness, whatever it is, you gotta start with by knowing who God is. It starts with God. If you're warped on your view of God, you will be warped on your view of forgiveness, your need of it, your response to it. And so we start with who God is. And he says, God is light. And this idea of God being light or associated with light is throughout the Bible. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't go far without seeing it. So the Bible starts 
in the beginning God creates the heaven and the earth. And what is the first thing he says? Let there be, okay, all three of you study the Bible. Let there be light, right? That's how it starts. And then you get to the end and it's, it's the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And it says, there is no sun. So for all you who are beach bums, sorry, you're not getting tan in heaven, right? But there is no sun and there's no need of lamps. Why? Because Jesus, the S-O-N, his glory lights the universe, right? So there's no, the Bible starts with light, it ends with light. And then in the middle, you have things like John saying, in him was the light of life. He's the light of the world. Jesus' own statement, I am the light of the world because God is light. And it's, it's an important message about who God is. And it starts with him. And here's why it's important that we start with God. And we start with, he is distinct. He is holy. He is perfectly perfect. This, this, is, this is vital. We have a world who, the, the worldview of most people is everything is kind of this, lumped in this one big circle, we call it like a monism. Like a, a, it's, it, this is kind of philosophical, I know. For some of you, a little deeper. If you're a PE major like me, you have to read about this stuff. But every, everything's lumped into one big kind of mesh, right? One big circle, circle of life, akuma matata, you know, that kind of stuff. Where the Bible teaches, no, there's a dualistic cosmology where there is God and there is everything else, right? There, the God is distinct. There's creation, there's creator, there is good, there is evil. There is light, there is dark. There is male, there is female. And there is distinction. They are different, right? There is truth, there is not truth. That's a dualistic worldview. That's, that's what he's getting at. The world has a monistic worldview where light and dark are all the same. So some of you, when you're 18, you got 18, you're like, I'm getting a tattoo. And you think, I'm cool. I'm gonna go get the yin and the yang. And you put it on the back of your neck because you're a cool and you thought, yeah, I'm a surfer, cool dude, right? And now you're like, why did I do that? I was an idiot. But that's another story. But that, that, that yin and the yang, that's a worldview where light and dark are all one. It's very Jedi, the, 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 the light side of the force, the dark side of the force, right? It's all the same, but it's just a, kind of a different perspective where truth and error, there's not really error, it's just your truth and my truth. It's all the same. Where now we have a culture where male and female, eh, it doesn't really matter. My daughter's off of college. She had a little group for her little welcoming. They, they told them, uh, tell us what you identify as. I'm like, did you tell them what I would have told them? Because I would have told them, but you know, she was much more gentle. But it's like, oh, it doesn't matter. What, you, what, is, what do you want to be, right? Where, so now truth, there's no truth in error. Truth is what, it comes from where? Inside of you. Whatever, you know, you find your truth and then your truth is you this. Rather than no, it's distinct. Truth and error are distinct. Creation, whether there's creator and creation. No, no, everything's all one, right? So the mother earth and we worship the planet and, you know, the, the kind of universe just kind of created itself and there's no distinct God. And, and it's, it's important that you get, this is where the world's going and this is why all this wackiness. And John starts with, no, 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 no. There is God and he is distinct and he is light and he is perfectly perfect. And there's everything else. He is good. He is the source of good. Everything that is good comes from God. Have you, have you even thought about it? That's what the half-brother of Jesus, James, says. Every good and perfect gift comes down from God. Everything that's good in your life, everything that brings joy and satisfaction to you, whether you're a Christian or not, doesn't matter what you are, anything good comes from God. And I was thinking about this yesterday. I was like, what? 
what do I think that's good? What is just such a common grace? I was just thinking, first thing that came to my mind, peanut butter is good. Peanut butter on a chocolate chip cookie is good with a glass of milk, cold skim, or whole milk for that matter, you know, whatever. Whatever kind of milk is good. That is a common grace. That is good. Right? That's a gift. Some of you, you know, you go to Tybee, you're with kids playing in the sand, sun, you know. That's good. That is a gift. Some of you going on a jog this afternoon. That's, that's good. Some of you, that's hell, whatever. But some of you, that's a gift. Exercise is a gift. Good. Right? A, a nap. So, I mean, this is, is this not the best in, day for naps? I mean, you go home, turn on golf, fall asleep three minutes later, wake up when it's about to finish. You get to see the last hole. It's a good afternoon right there. That's good. A great glass of sweet tea. It's not like with Splenda or some dumb chemical, with real sugar. So, sugar, so sweet you can grind the sugar in your teeth with chewy ice. And it's so sweet that you say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. It's good. And I, we laugh and we joke a little bit, but here, here's the point. I don't think we, rem- we remember that that God is light, that he is distinct, and yet he gives good. And it's important that we think about, when we think forgiveness, we think God. We start with God because that's, that's, that's where he starts. And he says this then. Since we know God is light, um, if we say we have fellowship with him, and, it, and it's, if we say, we're gonna see this, con- it's six times in the text. It's, it's probably in a t- uh, what the false teachers are saying. They're probably saying, hey, we have fellowship with God, but yet they walk in darkness. So he's gonna attack them. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, liar, we lie and we do not practice the truth. If you say, I love God, I know God, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of God, and you walk in darkness, he says, eh, thanks for coming out. Not true. And remember, walking is a metaphor for life. So you're, you're just, you're, your tenor of your life is darkness. He says, that cannot be true. Why? Because light and dark don't mesh. The, the, the light dispels. I cannot say, as an Eagles fan, I don't mind the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, they're fine. No, they are not. I hate them as much as a Christian is allowed to. Because I'm an Eagles fan. It is just the way it is. There's no rhyme or reason. And they hate us and it's fine. And we are all good with that. Because the light of the Eagles dispels the darkness of Jerry Jones. That's the point. You cannot say, I love God, I walk with God and walk in darkness. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light. We do have fellowship with one another. The one another there is not each other, although that is true. It's you and God. It's the vertical. And then the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from sin. So the question we gotta ask is, what does it mean to walk in light? What does it mean to walk in dark? Because I used to think, oh, walk in light means I'm nice, I'm good, I don't sin. Walk in dark means I'm sinning. And I think there's some elements of that, but I don't think that's the point of the text. I don't think it can be. Walk in light cannot mean I don't sin and I'm perfect. Why? Because when I walk in the light, I'm cleansed from sins, which implies that I sin. And he says, the next verse, if you say you have no sin, you lie. So it can't be that you're sinless. So what does it mean? I think Jesus' discussion in John chapter three to Nicodemus 
kind of shed a little bit of light on it. Remember John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And the very next thing he says this, he says, this is judgment, that light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. What does light do? It exposes them, that's why. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Why do you think crime is done at night? So you can hide, right, for most part. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. I think the point of light and dark is those people who walk in darkness hide, pretend. They may portray something, but they're really this. Or they, they don't want to listen to what the light has to say, so they resist. This is what God says about marriage. Boom, I'm over here. This is what God says about purity. No, I'm going over here. This is what God says about drunkenness. No, boom, I'm going over here. And so we stay away from the light, and we continue to walk in darkness. Or we blame. Well, it's my wife's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my mom's fault. Or we just deny sin altogether. It's not really sin. It's just a lifestyle. It's not really a child. It's my choice and we justify it, right? Or we just deny sin all right. Oh, sin doesn't exist. There's no such thing because what I decide is truth and what I feel, which is very monistic because I'm God, because God is in me, right? And so that's darkness. And if that's darkness hiding, sneaking, then light is just simply living exposed. Here's what truth is. I'm, I'm gonna walk towards the truth. And if it means it's gonna shine on me and it's gonna expose me, so be it. And I listened to Ray Ortland this week. I don't know if you know him. He's a, a retired pastor now. He just made this great statement, and it stuck with me. He says, it comes a point in your life you're gonna have to make a choice whether you are impressive or known. And I think some of us are worried about being impressive. And, and imp- oh, everyone sees me, and, see, and we portray something rather than be known and authentic in God, uh, just re- showing what he sees. Right? That's walking in light and darkness. And that leads to the second point. We start with God. We know who he is, but then we know who we are. And who are you? Well, verse eight tells us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And it's a, it, the tense is continuous. If we say, I don't sin, I'm not sinning. That's not sin, I'm not a sinner. It says you're a liar to yourself. The truth is not in you. Why? Because I'm a sinner. Because the one who is light says I am a sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I am a sinner. And understand, I sin because I am a sinner. I'm not a sinner because I sin. There's a big difference. My nature, what I was born with because of my dad and his dad and his dad all the way back to Adam is sinful. So because I am a sinful person, I sin. It's, It's a it's who we are. It's like this, I have an oak tree in my front yard. This oak tree, because of its nature, drops acorns and a bazillion leaves every day so that my kids, not me, have to rake them. Why? It does it because its nature is oak tree. It doesn't drop them and then there's acorns. I'm like, oh, it must be an oak tree. No, it is an oak tree. That's why its nature is to drop leaves and acorns. You, by nature, are a sinner. I can prove it to you. First of all, ask your mom. Second of all, if I tell all of us, hey, everyone, we're driving to Atlanta. Everyone get on the road. And there's, I, I've made it possible. There's no cops from here to Atlanta. It would be the cannonball run. Some of you would make it in 13 minutes. <laughs> Why? Because there's no cops. And when there's no cops, what do I do? Break the law. Lawbreakers. Are you a lawbreaker? Yes, you are. I'm a lawbreaker. A few weeks ago, we were at my parents' house. We went to, on, on a Sunday morning. We went hiking, one of the state parks. Drove up, COVID sign, no, there's no security. You're supposed to pay $5 a person. 
no security. Didn't pay $5 a person. My dad was in the car in front of me. I'm like, oh, my dad will pay, right? Or he has, a, he has his sticker, so I must be, I'm going to use his sticker, right? What? No, no cop, no pay. Go right in. That's your pastor. I'm just confessing my sins to you, right? So if you want to intercede for me and send a check for $20 to the state of South Carolina, that's fine. So we're sinful. We're lawbreakers. James says you break one law, you broke them all. You know, and there's always a lot of talk of, well, you need the Ten Commandments back in school. Oh, that's fine if you want to put them there. You keeping them? Any of you? How you doing with Ten Commandments? Number, how you doing with number one? Love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Fail. Can't even get by number one, can you? How about number two? Have no other gods before me. Any other gods? Some of you are driving it. Some of you, it's your biceps. Some of you, it's your job. Some of you, it's your bank account. Some of it's your girlfriend. Fail. How about taking the Lord's name in vain? Ever been on Duran at 5.30? Fail. <laughs> How about the Lord's Day? Honor the Lord's Day. Keep it holy. I've seen some of y'all's pictures. 9.15, Sunday morning, Tybee Island. Blowing off church to go to Tybee. Fail. Honor your father and mother. You ever been a teenager? Fail. Don't murder anybody. Well, you're like, oh, I finally get one. Well, Jesus says, if you have hate in your heart, you're a murderer. So every time you drive up the road and that person who has the sign of the other political candidate, which you don't like, and you get so mad, fail. How about lust? That's uh, 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 adultery. Lust in your heart, Jesus says, fail. How about lying? Don't even try to lie about not lying and prove my point, fail. How about coveting? Every time you watch HGTV, ladies, and you're like, I wish my husband was like Chip Gaines, Fail. You can't even get by 10. That's, and that's the stuff we'll tell each other. Right? So here's the question. So why are some of you faking it? Why do you pretend that you love God and yet walk in darkness and lie and deny the fact that you're broken and sinful and try to project See, I think that's the point. I don't think any of us, anybody, everyone in the room, we say, you know, oh yeah, I'm a sinner. But the way we do this, the way we kind of, in a Christianese way, is we compare. I'm a sinner, but I'm not Hitler. We always go to Hitler or Stalin, right? Here's the point. You fall short of the glory of God. It's, you're not getting compared to Hitler or Stalin. You're getting compared to Jesus. And you're very falling short. Even if Hitler's here, you're here. You fall way short of the glory of God. You've missed the mark of perfection. So why do we pretend? And the sad thing is this. The church uh, is supposed to be a place where we can be, own the fact that we're all jacked up. The world values authenticity and transparency. And so that's a huge value. And we say, yeah, that's important. And we come in here and we fake it. We pretend. We act like we got it all together and we were just yelling at our kid about forgetting the umbrella out in the car. And that's the reality. And this should be the one place that there should be openness and transparency where we come in and say, I'm jacked up. And we've told you before, it's okay to, to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay there, right? We're, I'm the chief sinner and I've admitted that to you. And, I've, and, and I'm sorry if you ever think that I'm projecting like a holiness that I don't have. And you can ask any of the pets in my home or the kids or my spouse and they will tell you how jacked up your pastor is, right? I'm... I'm saying this as a sinner. But some of you need to hear this, that God is not 
uh, in love with some future version of you that like one day, once you figure it out and do enough Bible study and, and whatever, that finally you'll arrive and God will love you. That's, that's not who God is. He is not disappointed with you. He's not like, you know, every other dad in the room that has that kind of moment where it's like, are you kidding me? Really? Every dad has that, right? Really? You're getting ready for school this week. It's the first week of school. You can't find your tie. It's day two. Are you kidding me? You, don't, you only have one sock on. We're leaving in five minutes. Are you kidding me? You're telling me now you have a science project and we're leaving in three minutes? Are you kidding me? You need a check for $50. Why? Are you kidding me? That, that's how we view God, I think. Like, he's just looking at us like, are you kidding me? Right? And he's not disappointed. Disappointed means there's an expectation that was unmet. Right, that's where we're disappointed. We expected God something in this way, and this this happened, and so we're disappointed. God didn't have expectations because He knew who you were and knew who you would be, and He demonstrates His love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ still died for us. So there's no disappointment. So you don't need to hide and pretend and keep walking in the darkness like you have it all together because you don't. Instead, verse nine, famous verse, if we confess, if we homo lego, homo same lego say, if we say the same thing, if we agree in essence with what God says, this is not just a, a, harm, a harmless glance, it is sin. This is not just a little white lie, it is sin. This is not just a bad attitude, it is sin. It's not just a harsh word to my spouse, to my wife, to my kids, it is sin. Right? It's not just living together. It's sin. Call it what God calls it. Confess, agree. Right? The solution is not to deny, to, to redefine sin, to justify it, to say, yes, this is sin. I am wrong. God, you are right because you are light and I am not. It's sin. And by the way, confession is not getting caught. Okay, oh, you got caught, and I, yeah, yeah, I admit it. That's agreeing with the facts. That's not confession. Confession is, uh, this is sin, I've done it, right? And when you do that, he says, he is faithful. He's the one, every time, he, he will forgive. He is just, he's the only one who is just. He is the only one who is righteous because all sin is against him, and he cleanses us from all. Most important word in that verse to me, all all, everything you've ever done, everything you will do, all. That, that one thing that you did back in college that you, don't, you haven't even told your spouse about, that thing that brings you shame and guilt, all. That thing that weighs heavy on you, your failed first marriage, the abortion you had that no one knows about, the, the company that, that re you wrecked, that relationship that you blew up, whatever, the addiction, the time in jail, the, I, I don't know. All means all, though. All means all. All those ugly things that you've hidden away in the shadows. You need to bring them to the light and find grace. And don't deny them. Don't, verse 10, say, we have not sinned. I haven't sinned. No, it's not sin. It's not sin. I hide it. Because, see, this is why it's so serious. Because you're making God a liar when you deny it. And your, his word is not in us. We confess. We bring it to the light. And he, he's faithful to forgive. And, and I know that sometimes we think, well, if, if we just, 
if, if it's all about it, just confession, then can't just Christian just go out and live their life and do whatever they want, and then you just confess it. So it's like, yeah, free. it's like a free sin card. I get out of jail free. Go sin, confess. And, and I think John has, he, he knows that that's kind of our, the way we think. So he says, my little children, remember, the chapter divisions are not original, all right? They did the best they can, but they did a horrible job in this one. Uh, it should have kept on. But he says, my little children, I am writing these things so that you may not sin. This should be motivation. You have a loving father who, who forgives you, who cleanses you. It should motivate you towards grace. Should we, should we sin all the more that grace may increase? May it never be, is what Paul says. It should be a motivation. No, 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 I'm gonna flee. And we'll see this next week as we continue in our text. But when you do sin, you have a loving God who welcomes you back like the prodigal son's dad who's waiting, he's looking, he sees his son, he bolts and he runs, he tucks his robe up so he can get there faster, he throws a ring on, he throws the robe on, he kills the fattened calf, he says, my son is alive, he's back. And you say, well, how do I know? Because you don't know the train wreck of my life, of what I've done. You don't, yeah, Bill, you, you, kinda, you, you didn't do anything as bad as me, I've done X, fill in the blank. Here's how we know. We know who God is, we know who we are, but we know who Jesus is. And this is the key. Again, look at verse one of chapter two. I'm writing these things that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, and you will, you have an advocate with the Father. Who's the advocate? Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the dikaios, the righteous, the just, as it's translated earlier. An advocate is one who goes in between, Right? He's the mediator. This is a term that's actually used of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside. So the idea is this. Here's God over here, holy, distinct, perfectly perfect. Here's me, Bill Fowler over here, sinful, rotten, short. And here's Jesus in between. And the Father is saying, he is guilty. And Jesus is saying, yes, he is, but I paid for him. See the receipt in my hands and in my side. And the Father says, innocent because of your payment, because God is just and he doesn't punish you twice. He punished Jesus for your sin so that you don't have to face his punishment, which is what it means when he says, he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, for the whole world. It's a fancy word that means the atoning sacrifice, the, the satisfaction of the wrath of God. Your sin deserves wrath. That's why Jesus says, uh, take this cup, the cup of God's wrath that will be poured out on him, right? Your sin deserves wrath. Jesus took your wrath on himself. In fact, the, the, the Greek translation of uh, the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, it uses the, the word for mercy seat uh, is the same word that's used here for propitiation. Remember the mercy seat? It was the, it was the top part of the Ark of the Covenant. Right? So go back and watch Indiana Jones tonight. Uh, Ark of the Covenant, you know, there's the two angels on top and then there's the seat right there. That's the mercy seat. And what would happen is uh, once a year, the high priest would go into the holy place and he would put the blood of the, of the ram or the lamb on that and the sins of the people will be atoned. And inside the Ark of the Covenant, you know what's in, here's a trick question for you. What's inside the Ark of the Covenant? There's three things. The Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod, and a bowl of manna, very good. Three things, all three things that symbolic, symbolic of what God had done. God had given his word, 
his law. God had provided for his people and manna, and God had given leadership in Aaron and Moses. All three things the people of Israel rejected, right? And so as God's looking down into the ark, what does he see? He sees how those people rejected his, his law, his provision, and his leadership. They deserve wrath. But what happens? The blood is put on top. So now all he sees is the atonement. And the people are free. They're forgiven. He doesn't see their sins anymore. Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be whiter than snow. That's what Jesus is. So th- this, is why, uh, this is why he had to become man. And so the question is also asked, why can't God just forgive everybody? He's God. Can't he just love everyone and forgive everybody? Because he's distinct and he's holy and light cannot have fellowship with darkness. So something has to be done with the darkness. It has to be punished. It has to be uh, removed. And so what does God do? He sends his son and punishes his son in my place. This is why Jesus had to be human this is why the humanity of Christ, which is under attack in this book, is so vital. For Jesus to die for men, he has to become men. But for to die for all mankind, he has to be God at the same time. So he is 100% man. He is 100% God. He is the God man who takes my place. He is my mediator. And this is why Paul says in Romans 3 that he is, that God is the just and the justifier. In Romans 3, 26, at the end there, he says that he might be just and the justifier. He's just in that he punishes sin, the justifier, and then he makes Bill Fowler unrighteous, pagan, nasty. He makes me righteous because of my faith in Christ. And so it's not just that I am forgiven. It's not just that you are forgiven. That is a piece of it. That's just half of it. You are forgiven and that your sins are, are released, but you are also cleansed and that you are made clean. It's, you actually, it's what theologians call double imputation. Again, I'm giving you a bunch of fancy words today. You feel smarter now, I know already, right? But it, it, the idea is this. You get the righteousness of Christ. He gets the sinfulness of you. It's a double imputation. He made him who knew no sin, Jesus, become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's a pretty good deal for you, right? Jesus becomes your sin, you become his righteousness. And so when God the Father sees Bill Fowler now, he doesn't see Bill Fowler's nastiness, he sees his son and his righteousness and he says, clean. That's what it, that's what it means. That's why it's once for all, sins for, once, the sacrifice for all, just for the unjust, right? That this is what God has done. So back to my taxes illustration, it'd be like the United States government, let's say I owe them a billion dollars, which I don't. But let's say I owe a billion dollars in back taxes. It'd be like the United States government saying, uh, forgiven. And I'd be like, praise God. But also, it's not just that you're forgiven, Bill. We're gonna give you a special debit card that, that takes money right out of the treasury and out of Fort Knox, and you can use it whenever you want. You can go take it, pay your mortgage. You can take it to the Chick-fil-A. You can take it to the Home Depot. Just use everything. Everything that's ours is yours. And the government likes to print money, so I can go forever. Right? So that, that's the idea. Not just have I been released of my debt, but I've been given access to what is God's. That's who I am. He becomes sin, you become a child of God. He becomes dark, you become light. And remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about stewardship, remember Jesus, he says, the Father, he, it's his pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's the idea. It's his pleasure. Right? Isn't that, this is what God has done. So the question is, is, where's guilt in that? Where's the guilt? 
For those of you who, are, who feel heavy, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. What does Jesus say? I'll give you rest. You came in the room with guilt and shame. There's, there's no guilt. Shouldn't be. Not in Christ. Where's the condemnation? Not in Christ. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? Some of you need to start living out your identity and not living for it. You need to be not impressive, but known. And yet that comes from being, here I am, in all my sinfulness. Start with God, then I know me, then I know Christ. Let me give you just three really quick thoughts, and one of these may hit you and may not, and then we'll worship. Uh, number one is this. Somebody in this room is hiding, and you've been hiding for a while. And today's the day you need to come out of the dark and into the light. Maybe it's been one year, maybe it's been six weeks, maybe it's been 10 years of this thing that you've been kind of feeding and you think I got it under control and I can get away with it. And here's the thing, be sure your sin will find, eventually it'll catch up to you. And the earlier you come forward and bring it to the light, the less train wreck it is down the road. Because it's just, you know, you cannot sow to the flesh and reap to the spirit. You, you, will, you will get a harvest eventually. And maybe today's the day you need to bring it to the light. Is that hard? Is that humiliating? Is that gonna cause some chaos? Maybe. But it also, you'll find a God who is gracious. And maybe the place that you most fear will be the place that God loves you most tenderly. And, you know, I don't know if you need to talk to a pastor, your parents, a spouse, your community group leader, but you need to not hide anymore. You need to come to the light today. Number two, thought is, this is not a, confession is not a one-time deal. Yes, you come to faith at one point, but this is a repetitive thing. The idea, verse nine is, if we confess our sins, it's a continue. If you continue to confess your sins, it's something that should be a regular part of your rhythm. Not necessarily, you know, you don't have to, you know, so we get some Christians that get so super spiritual. Oh, back in, I think in second grade, I pulled, you know, uh, someone's hair and I get, oh, I got to figure that out. Is there some hidden sin? And we're getting so deep. No, we're not talking about that. But if, as you kind of walk through life, you cannot lose your identity in Christ. You don't become a child of God, now not a child of God. Once you're saved, you're always saved. So there's always that identity, but you can lose fellowship. There can be intimacy that, that it's, with, it's sin gets in the way. And so we keep short accounts with God. Just regularly, Lord, man, I, I was impatient with my wife. I, I was wrong, please forgive me. Lord, that, that was a selfish act. That was, I lost my temper. It's just constant. It's regular until we are glorified, until we're with Jesus. And the last thought is this. There's a community aspect. There's a together aspect of this. If we walk in the light, not if I walk in the light, if we do this, if we confess our sins, if we, 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 this idea that we together are on this journey towards heaven and we together uh, there's just a depth and a growth when we're in community and when we confess. All of us have been in that group, whether it's, you know, recently or years ago, where you're just kind of superficial and you're like, oh, how's everyone, how's every week? Well, you know, we're fine. How, how you st I struggle with pride. Everyone struggles with pride because that's an easy one to share and not be really ashamed. And then someone drops something and it's like, okay, it just got real in here because they just talked about that and I would have never admitted that, but they talked about that. And it gets you into a next level of like, whoo, here we go. But see, that's where God wants us. Where we're exposed, uncomfortable, 
honest, transparent. I'm not saying you gotta stand up right now. It's like, I yelled at my wife this morning and I'm, I'm not talking about that in an appropriate way. But that as we walk in community that we, hey, I am glad you told me that because now I can pray and I'm gonna call you out on it. And that's, that's, you know, that's what we're called to. You know, we have these accountability groups where everyone just kind of shares and say, oh, it's okay, you yelled at my wife too. That's not accountability. Accountability is I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna keep you from doing that. And every time you do it, I'm gonna hammer you until you stop. That's a guy's group. I don't know what girls do. Maybe you're nicer than we are. But, but the idea is that we're helping each other walk towards Jesus and walk in light. And I think it's interesting, verse seven, uh, the order. It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And then the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. I would have switched that. The blood of Jesus cleanses us sin and then we have fellowship and walk in the light. But there's something that's cleansing about fellowship, about walking together. And so I think for some of you, it's time for you to come out of the shadows and the fact that you're hiding and not in community. And maybe you need to get in a group or meet with that group that you used to meet on Thursday mornings or whatever. I think it's time. All right, that's enough. I'm long, but you guys came to last service. I got nobody after you. I can preach for hours. It doesn't matter. So I just want us to know forgiveness. It starts with God, knowing who he is, knowing who we are, and ultimately knowing Jesus, knowing the gospel, that Christ became a man, died on a cross in your place for your sins, rose on the third day, and when you put your faith in him alone, you can't pay it yourself, he paid it for you, there's forgiveness of sins, and you can have it today, and you don't need to be like me, worried about April 15th, you can know for certain my sins are forgiven. Let me pray, and we'll sing. Father, I thank you for the truth of the good news, I pray that we as a church would not miss the point. What a tragedy to, do, to sit here and hear uh, the good news of the gospel and to miss the point and try to earn favor or feel guilt or shame or even reject the light that you have shown to say, I don't care, I don't want that. Lord, I just pray that wouldn't be the case for anybody in this room. That, that we would walk in the light as you were in the light, that your son, his blood would cleanse us from all sin that we would not be a hypocritical church, that we would not be fake, that we would just own our mess and trust in the goodness of the gospel. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. You guys can stand as we sing.